Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. This is episode number 43. I am your host, Daniel, and I am here with Jonathan. First off, as we do every week, we would like to recognize and appreciate all of our new, as well as our consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Oh, man, it's been a tough week. Okay. It's been a very tough week. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I had a bacterial infection in my face. Bacterial so. infection. Okay. Yeah, I got bit by the dog. Dexter? Had a bunch of swelling. Got bit by Dexter. Got a bunch of swelling going on in my face. Or nasty rash. It's been a it's been a very tough week. Other than that, though, I'm doing it okay outside of that. Okay. Well, do you think he did it on purpose? That's the elephant in the room question. Nah, he was scared, so... Mm. You'd be surprised what people, or animals in this case, do in a sense of fear. Or when they have a sense of fear. So, I forgive him. I don't blame him. Just right. glad it's not worse. You know? It could always be worse. Okay. I see where you're going there. That's that's a good point. Anything else? Uh, you look on the brighter side of things, you know? It could be, you know, my face could be disfigured or it could be uh lost the eye you know something more severe the dog could have been put down lost the life so you you know you take the good with the bad and just keep pressing forward on the good side because there's always good when there's bad uh got some more time to rest so that was good and you know got more time to just focus on other things so that's always a positive as well i guess so I can agree with that. How's your week been? Mm, you know, pretty predictable. Nothing overwhelmingly. I would say overwhelmingly thoughtful. Just, you know. Really? Yeah. Nothing at all? No. Can't think of a single thing. Nah. Just. Normal week for me. Nothing too over the top, nothing under the top. So, to me, it was okay. It's a good week. Not even the fact that uh, it's celebrated a birthday. Yeah, I did. But, you know, as you get older, birthdays, it's not that they lose its importance. It's just, I wouldn't call it the same song and dance either. But for me, every time I've gotten older, I would say I've gotten wiser, and I know that's not the normal perception. But for me, it's more about reflection. What can I do better as I get a year older? It's always been my mentality. And sometimes it's how can I be in a better position for the future? You know what I'm saying? You know, as you get older, you're supposed to be 
reflecting and remembering some of the things that worked versus some of the things that didn't. You're all supposed to realize that procrastination, there's no room for procrastination as you get older. Unfortunately, when we're young, we tend to get caught up in this pattern of being comfortable and under your parents' protection and them providing for you. But as you get older, you have to realize you have to start making preparations for that in regards to yourself. And, you know, there's a scripture in Corinthians that Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. So as you get older, there are certain things you're supposed to grow out of. You're supposed to definitely mature into. And you're supposed to elevate. So that's why, you know, didn't necessarily want to mention it was my birthday. But now that we're on that discussion and topic. That's kind of how I see things now. So that's it for me. That's how I feel. Sounds uneventful. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. All right. So I'm more intrigued and interested in talking about today's discussion and moving further with providing people with insight. And, you know, I appreciate, again, all those who listen to us. and take away something to apply to their lives and maybe tell somebody else. That's why we created this platform. And hopefully in due time, we'll have a lost audience where maybe we can do lives or something like that and engage people and have more discussion. But me and Daniel, besides, you know, taking the time off of this podcast, we both have very busy weeks, which is why we felt it would be better for preparation and providing you know, insight and direction biblically once a week. So that's what we're here to do. All right. So let's get down to some prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, as we welcome a new week, I pray that all of our listeners, including me and Daniel, remain focused on whatever task that needs to be accomplished. I pray, Lord, that out of today's discussion, we can learn a thing or two about reading between the lines and never overlooking the smallest details. Instead, we should go over things with a fine-tuned toothbrush. Out of today's talk, I pray that we learn how to give your word more credit, obviously. It was left here for a reason, so that we can examine, break down, and also use for our wisdom and for our instruction. So I hope we can provide something for the people to take away with them as they proceed to tackle the rest of the week. Lord, we ask that all eyes to be open, all ears to be receptive, all hearts to be willing to hear, and all minds to be eager to receive insight from your word, which is alive and well, sharper than any double-edged sword. We ask you this with hope and in faith that all of us are on the same page. When two or three are gathered, Lord, there you are in the midst. So welcome. You are invited into this discussion. Please feed us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray and all in agreement say amen. Amen. All right, so let's get down to business here. We are looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, 
verses 19 to 31. And we're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who fed stupendously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dog came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and displain. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, in like matter, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into a place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone shall rise from the dead. All right, great job, Daniel. I like those exaggerations there. So the title of this podcast is called Takeaways from a True Story. Takeaways from a True Story. The reason why I titled it that is because this is no parable. Jesus tells us this is a true story. Well, why do I believe that? One of the hermeneutics rules when it comes to interpreting and understanding scripture is to look at the grammar choice in the sentence. In the beginning of the story, it says there was. Now, was is a past tense word. Past tense expresses an action that has happened or a state that previously existed. If it were a parable, Jesus would say this. Therefore, this is also the reason why I talked about grammar being essential when it comes to unpacking the scriptures. Using proper hermeneutics is necessary so that you can be able to glance and understand and appreciate how it was being written, who was it being written to. The purpose of it being written, etc., etc. Now, for those who don't know what a parable is, it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Now, if you've been following along with us in the book of Luke, you have already noticed that Jesus uses the parables, right, to approach people, to pull them in so that they can relate and so they can follow along with him in a much easier fashion. A parable Jesus uses usually 
is in relation or comparable to the times that the people were in. The use of the farming in stories is just one of the examples in his parables. So historically, we all, we should know, all know this, but I just want to stress this and point it out that Jesus is known as one of the best communicators ever. He's also known as one of the best teachers ever. Remember, people have acknowledged Jesus as an amazing teacher, just not God in the flesh. So as a teacher, yes, Jesus has gotten that respect and that title worldwide. But as God, in most people's eyes, not possible, which is why they are missing it. So to kind of give more credence and more provided understanding that Jesus numerous times has said that he was God. We look at some scriptures here. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God! Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So great job, Dan. Now that was actually the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 24 through 28. That's fine. We have a few more. So let's try this again. Let's look up Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 7 through 11. If you have known me, you will have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, Show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Alright, great job. So that was Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 7-11. to we looked at the Gospel of John, verses chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now let's 
look at the gospel, not the gospel. Let's look at First John chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. And his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right, great job. And I'll do one more. I'll look at Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I am the Father are one. So now that we have supported Jesus' claim to be God with Scripture, let's view this true story Jesus told us now. So here are several takeaways from this story. Now, I have admitted, now I'm going to admit here, that I'm a curious guy. So I like to look into things that make me think. So I'm going to share how I do that. And maybe I can encourage just one or many of you who listen to the truth of the matter is and how they can start digging deep in the scriptures as well. So I'm going to also reiterate this point yet again, and I've mentioned it in several episodes, and I'm going to mention it again here. And I'm going to choose this passage out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. And normally we'll read it in the ESV or the NIV, but I think it's most prominent and has its most value in the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. And this is what it says. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who acts receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Yeah, so when it comes to God, we must be direct. Ask for what you need. Now, we don't know when he will answer us, but best believe he will answer us. And for the most part, it won't be late. Instead, it will be right on time. So you ever heard that saying where God is never late, but on time? You know, that's a phrase. Or another thing is in time, he will answer you. Right. Sometimes we have to wait. Right. There's a song that Dinah Kirkland sings that says, wait on the Lord. And I think it's important that we should, right? Another thing, right? There's a beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I love it in the NIV. And it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Okay. So remember, when you ask God for something, be patient, right? Pa- you know, patience is a virtue. Sometimes things don't happen right away. Doesn't mean God hasn't heard you. Just means that he's working things out. And when he's working things out, be patient and know that in the right timing, he will come and he will address your needs. Okay. Now let's begin to unpack this story. Let's look at verse number 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple 
and fine linen and who feasted stupendously every day. So two things that stood out to me, the color purple and the word stupendously. Now, I would have to ask myself, why the color purple? Because that's exactly why I asked myself, why the color purple? See, it's important that when you're reading things, you have to sort of understand why is he mentioning purple here? Okay. Now, when you think about it, imperial classes of Rome, Egypt, Persia began a widespread reverence for the color purple. Purple came to represent spirituality because the ancient leaders that put it on were widely considered to be descendants of the gods. Ah, that's an important thing to see there. Let me give you additional information here as well. So interesting story to point out as well. Something I, you know, found out when reading scripture. Jesus, right? There's a story where Jesus uses his spit to heal a man in the gospel of Mark. And we will get to it. But he did it. So he did it because during that time, right, people believed that certain rulers were descendants of God. So if you're a descendant of God, your spit should be able to cure people, right? So during that time and period, it wasn't uncommon that Jesus used spit to provide eyesight for the man, right? Another thing is Jesus was demonstrating his power and his authority by providing that man with his DNA so the man could be able to see. It's the little details like that in scripture that makes searching for the truth so much worth it, right? Another thing is also to consider and to understand as well is that during that time, things were different. I can definitely believe that if anyone was spitting in anybody's eyes in this time, it would be a fight. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's that 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 definitely will most likely happen. You can guarantee it. Any hood, you spit in somebody's eye or, or tell them to use my spit so that you can see, that's gonna be a huge issue. So again, think about Herman Nukes is understanding the period in time and what was normal. And what was considered outrageous. Okay. Now, here's another thing, right? Laws were actually introduced to protect the color use of purple, right? Kings and emperors allow senates to have togos. We're going to talk about that in a second. With a stripe of purple. But that was it. So, togos is a distinct garment of ancient Rome. It was roughly, you know, a be- between 12 and 20 feet in length draped over the shoulder and around the body was usually woven from white wool and it was worn over a tunic apparently the togo was a symbol of peace i have that i'm finding that very hard to believe but with all that killing and slavery that was going on i don't know what kind of peace they were providing but that's what they say it was and an ancient roman garment right so historical i would say Pontius Pilate wore this and nero and many more right now let's look at the word stupendously right it means extremely costly rich luxurious or magnificent so i think two takeaways we can have so far is that jesus wanted us to know the rich man and how he was living in his luxury his lifestyle spending large sums amounts of money okay 
and also the understanding of the importance of the color purple and why it was worn and what it meant and what it symbolized. Okay, now let's look at verse 20 and 21. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So interesting thing is you have what I would think is a benefit and a negative. First, so, first, you know, let me ask a question. Real okay, quick. okay. What's up? You know, knowing what happened to me with the dog, is that is that why this was chosen this week? <laughs> no, no, no. It it was rather this is rather interesting, right? Oh, you know, okay. this is a coincidence, right? <laughs> That's what I would think. This is this is a coincidence, but it's not as no charge against you, man. No charge against you. So Okay, continue. Yeah. So first thought, right? You shouldn't allow your dog to lick your wounds under any circumstances, right? Your dog's mouth is often in dirty places, and licking can introduce bacteria, which can lead to infection. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> licking can also irritate your wound more since a dog's tongue isn't exactly the gentlest thing to rub on your wound. However, here's another thought, and a factual one at that. Dog saliva prevent some bacteria from growing. However, this is only minorly effective. And the benefits largely stop there. There is nothing in the dog saliva that can make your wound heal faster. They don't heal wounds by licking. They simply keep them clean to prevent infection. So, imagine what's going on here. The dog comes to lick Lazarus. And as a reader, you know, I want you to consider those things, right? And I think it's important to why we see that Lazarus desires some food, right? So even if the food that fell from the table, that's how hungry he was, right? Guess who else was just as hungry? The dog. So they didn't just come to comfort Lazarus. They were hungry as well. So this is what we see here. So in one instance, you can see that the dog somewhat came to comfort him in his anguish. It's earthly anguish at that. And then you can also see the desire for food. So you know he had to be hungry if, it, if all he wanted was just the crumbs. Right? There's another illustration where the woman was talking to Jesus. And she says, even she can desire the crumbs that fell from the master's table. So some very interesting stuff going on here. They're not similar, but you can see that if it came down to it and you're hungry, right? Anything will suffice, okay? Now let's look at verse 23 to 25. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I gotta be honest here, right? I read verse 23 through 24 like 10 times 
and maybe it's a stretch, but I think purposely we see the death of Lazarus and right after we see an introduction or we see what is introduced as the image of angels carrying him to Abraham's side. However, we see the rich man dies and we see that he was buried before we were told that he was in Hades. Now, I guess what I'm saying is as believers, right? This is me extracting the text and probably trying to understand how and why it was written in this way and what we can pull from it, right? Is as believers, if we knew the person, right? So let's imagine we know a person that dies, right? And I would say if we knew the person, how they live, we instantly believe that they are going home to be with the Lord. So we don't think twice about what happens. We know that we know that we know that we know that God has called them home. And I'm speaking up for the old folks who I have heard express this with surety. Right now, for those who haven't placed their trust in Jesus and are somewhat worried and unsure about where their loved one or best friend or friend is going, they believe that that person was good, right? That they did good things and that they were kind and nice, and therefore, heaven has to be their destination, right? However, as believers, we know that no one is good, right? Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We also find in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21, that for our sake, he was made him, which is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So it's Christ's righteousness on us that God sees. Why? Because again, I'm going to say this. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23, it's clear. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So unfortunately, a good person doesn't suffice in God's book. Fortunately, that's the downfall. And I'm sorry for those who think that you lived a life that was great and you probably had some charity and you've done some great things and you've been a great person. Unfortunately, in God's book, that doesn't work. Now, I believe because of the uncertainty to the unbeliever, the celebration is on the life of the person and what they did and what they accomplished. For the believer, we celebrate the life just as much as the death. Why? Well, there's a beautiful passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. I'm going to let Daniel take it away. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Yeah, so we understand there's a beginning and an end in this life, right? So we appreciate everything. That even means death because it's coming for everyone. Not one person will escape it. That's part of life. Now, as believers, we know that the only one to conquer death is Jesus Christ. That's why we place our faith in him. So I thought about this after reading verses 23 through 24. And that's something I just wanted to point out. That in one element, we see him being brought by the angels. In another element, there seems to be more emphasis on a burial. Right. And then comes the torment. So let's get to addressing. Right. So the term blossom of Abraham. So I'm going to start mentioning some things here that you can find. Bosom in the New of Old Abraham. Testament. Say that again, Daniel. Bosom of Abraham. Yes. The term bosom of Abraham refers to the place of comfort in the biblical terms. Right. Where the righteous dead awaits judgment day. The phrase and concepts are found in both Judaism and Christian religious art. But it's weirdly not found in Islam, right? Hades means a lot of things. So this is why I think in the first episode I broke down how Hades can mean several things. And when you're reading the text, it's important. I want to give you a reference to check out Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible allows you look at some things in the original language and you can see how applying it could be extremely helpful to understand what it was meant to be said in the context because the interesting thing about English language is when we use the word love this f- love is meant five different things in Hebrew so this is important that we understand this right so Hades is a place or state for departed spirits it also means hell, which is borrowing from the Greek god, the god of the underworld, right? In Hebrew, it is known as the region of the dead. Now, get this in time, right? Hades, which is his name, became synonymous with his realm. So that's what we understand about Hades, especially in Greek mythology. And I'm giving you a lot of historical things here, because remember, I majored in history, so this is one of my specialties. So... That's something that we can consider. Another thing that we should consider as well is we understand that the devil has his ways of operating and maneuvering and deceit. And it's under under my understanding that, and you can check this out, I want to reference, I think it's Revelations. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. And I'm going to leave those who are curious and want to check things out. But 
Jesus is speaking here. So I'm going to kind of sum it up here and I'm going to leave the rest to a lot of people if they're interested to check it out. Jesus is referencing here that he is aware and familiar with where the devil's throne is. Now, get this right. There's a phrase in the saying that God dwells in the temple and he dwells with two or three that are gathered. Understand what that meaning is. That doesn't mean that he's physically there. It means his spirit is there. Okay. So it says that at that period in time, again, referencing Revelations chapter two, for those who want to check it out, verse 13 through 17, that Jesus is familiar with where Satan is. And when you dig deeper, you start to realize that Satan is also known as Hades. Right. Satan is also known as Hades. So I just want you people to understand that. There is a correlation. There is an understanding that Satan, just like he can disguise himself as an angel of light, he can also disguise himself as a lot of different foreign gods. There is power in the dark realm and operating and maneuvering it. So I just wanted to mention that and point that out there for those who want to dig deep. That's not where we're going today, but it's important that I mention it so that people can Take it upon themselves to look into it. Now, let's begin to unpack the rest of the story here. Verses 25 to 31. And I'm going to let Daniel read the rest of this here. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they be convinced as someone should raise from the dead. So get this as well, right? Please don't look at this to say what Abraham was talking about. That obviously you've been a partaker of good things and therefore... When you go to hell, you're going to be a partaker of bad things. That's not true. And maybe you receive the bad hand on earth. And then when you go to the good place, you're going to receive great things either. That's just, this is just a legitimate story that Jesus is telling that is true. But you have to understand this. This is before Christ's death and resurrection. And, the, you know, the devil being kicked out of the heavenly realm. Right. So there was a distinction and an understanding. Another thing we should, you know, consider is that there's two different realms of existence here. Right. That's obvious and it can't be ignored. And notice there isn't an option to be able to cross over to the other realm. Now, let's look at the two words that need defining here. Chasm, a marked division, separation or difference, and then we have the word anguish, severe mental 
or physical pain or suffering. So for those out there that don't believe that hell can provide those sort of emotions and feelings, yes, again, hell is not a state of mental existence. It's a real thing. Now, you can say and, you know, something feels like hell, but, you know, to sort of say something like that is not to understand what hell is really like, right? Another thing here is, as you see the word chasm here, it tells you that it's separated. Which means you can't cross over. Okay? So, here's what we can learn about the last six verses here. The rich man is suffering and instantly thinks of his children. Which is the right thing to do. However, the problem is, it's too late. Right? He's already in a place where no communication can happen. It's closed off. I do find, however, to be interesting that he's able to talk to Abraham. Right? He's able to sort of, you know, set on the table his concerns and worries. Right? And I think Abraham provides him information we should all heed to. Right? All of us have a messenger from God in this lifetime. This podcast is a message from God to those who are off track and far from God. The question will become, when will people listen? Right? When will people listen? The hope is that it doesn't come to that. And it's not too late. So, understand this too, right? This story is not to place any fear in anyone. It's just an alert story, right? At the end of the day, there are some people that will look at the story and say that it's not real. But I'm declaring it to be a true story because I believe it's a true story. And based on the context and how it was shared, it's a true story. And I just want people to understand that it's always great to have a reminder. And I think throughout your lifetime, God, without a doubt, and I'm making this a promise, will send people to teach you and share the gospel with you. It's up to you to make that choice, right? It's not up to anybody else. It's up to you. That's why it's it's a free choice for you to decide. Now, before I continue, and we look at a couple other things, right? The last statement that was made is this by the rich man. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to them, If they do not hear the most, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Now, they were talking about Jesus Christ here, right? Interesting thing is Jesus makes a statement that I thought was well said and can be applied here, right? And this is just in terms of him sort of delivering the good news, the message, the gospel, right? He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. He says, the one who listens to you, right? So he's talking about the disciple, the one who's sharing the gospel, the one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him, the heavenly father who sent me. Obviously, there's some questions about whether or not Jesus was sent, whether or not Jesus is God, that Jesus is a prophet. So on that note, I want to leave you with one more verse, something you should keep in mind. 
about wealth and about fame. I know a lot of us pursue it. We want it. Right. There's a lot of quick, rich schemes out there. I want you to understand this. Right. We just looked at the rich man's life and all he had. And we realized that he didn't share any of it. So I want us to go to Matthew. Chapter 16, verse 26. And we're going to look at this in the Amplified and Message Bible. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Okay, that's, that's the Message Bible. Let's look at it in the Amplified version as well. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, success, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So, the point is, what good is unlimited amounts of dollars if your soul is lost and you experience eternal separation from God? Will all that money benefit your soul in the long run? You never know. And if you are there, ask yourself how happy you are. One other thing, too, if you're looking for better understanding in regards to what God and you know what God does and how he plays a role, there's a book called Ecclesiastics. What it talks about, I'm summing it up now, there's a portion of it that you can check out. And he's speaking about how God gives the ability to those who are financially gifted not gifted but financially i would say granted the opportunity to have millions and millions of dollars and we see you know throughout history we see how there are some that can't manage it right their character and who they are they can't sustain the wealth that they're receiving they spew it out on a lot of different things and they have a hard time being able to come to grips of being satisfied and happy. That's a struggle in itself as well. So for us that don't have the access to that amount of funds, there's a struggle with them in regards to knowing who they are. Not all of them, but some. And also in regards to being able to balance everything out. So there's a struggle and a challenge in all things to those who have nothing, they wish they can have more. To those who have everything they ever have, they're usually alone and they're struggling and addiction and a lot of other things too. So don't take it for granted and don't overlook the position that you're in. There's always going to be a struggle to try to maintain something or balance things out appropriately, whatever position that you're in in life. So on that note, let's head to devotional time. Living for God. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 12, and this is out of the NIV version, it says, So then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done. There will be no hiding anything. From him in that day, he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives.
then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. And that is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And the earlier mentioned verse was out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This event is the judgment seat of Christ, which happens after his second coming. The purpose of this accountant is to reward believers for the good they have done. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 through 15 is clear. That selfish works will be burned up. This ought to spur you to do your best for Christ now. You don't want to enter heaven with little or no reward. Jesus promised that God will reward faithful, diligent service for him. And said, you'll be called to give an account for little words and an idle life. Matthew chapter 12 verse 36 and Jeremiah and James chapter 4 verse 17. It matters very much how you live. So go forth, and this is something that we say a lot on the Truth of the Matters is podcast. Live your right, live your life by trying to do what is righteous, what you know to be right, what you feel to be just, and do it with a fierceness, a boldness, a certain type of courage that spurs you to do those things. Ignore the decisions that will make your life more complicated. Not complicated in terms of its difficulty to overcome the challenge, but more difficult in what you will have to explain later. Live your life in a way that you can be proud of your actions, knowing that you're doing the right thing. And I feel when you do that, When judgment day comes, or when you are before the Lord, there will be nothing to second guess or anything to be afraid of explaining. And we'll say this prayer in hopes that it helps. Father in heaven, help me to live for you today and avoid wasting time with useless deeds that will be burned up. Help my life to count help my week to count and allow my actions to reflect your way in your holy name we pray and in Jesus name we say amen i'm